0: No one likes a broken promise, but there are promises made and promises broken every single day. If you've had enough important promises made to you broken, then you can become discouraged in your life. Someone has made a promise to you and then that it's an important promise and that promise is broken. Then you can become discouraged in that situation. You can become skeptical of people. If this happens enough, you can become very skeptical and you can have trust issues. The fact of the matter is that we don't like broken promises. We like people of their word. I was once told, if you don't have intention on following through with what you say, you're better off keeping your mouth shut. That's good advice. Well, God didn't keep his mouth shut. (laughs) He opened his mouth and he made a huge promise that he has been in the process of fulfilling ever since. The book of Genesis starts in chapter one with the power of God in creation. And it moves on from there in chapter two where we see God's goodness to mankind, where he provides that place for for man to live. But then in chapter three, man sins and disobeys God's command. And then because of that brings death and destruction into the world. And from that moment forward, God responded with a plan and a promise. The plan was established before the foundation of the world. The promise as sure as the name of God himself. God promised in Genesis 3 that through the seed of the woman, the enemies of God would be crushed. He later would promise to Abraham that one that he chose to call out and make a people for himself in this earth. He promised Abraham that all the families of the world would be blessed through his seed. This promise was also then specifically delivered to Isaac and then to Jacob. The whole book of Genesis can be seen, as we have stated, as a book of beginnings, a foundation, a book of beginnings. But it is also something more, it's a saga, really. It's a saga of the acts of a sovereign, majestic, and holy God. As he brought into being the heavens and the earth, Mankind and ultimately the Hebrew people through whom he would send the Messiah into the world to bring redemption and someday to reign as sovereign Lord over a world at peace. Wow. That's not a bad summary of the Bible. (laughs) Here in chapter 50 of Genesis, we see the fulfillment of a promise and the continued hope of God's promises yet to be fulfilled. We're here right now tonight, you are here present in this building because God made a promise and he's kept that promise and he's fulfilled that promise and there's still part of that promise yet to be fulfilled and we are holding on to the hope of that promise and that it is surely to be fulfilled. Tonight we're going to look at a specific promise fulfilled in the life of Jacob and in, in, in his actual, actually in his death. If you're taking notes tonight, I've got a couple points for you. The first point is this, his promise is sure. His promise is sure. Let's look at Genesis 50. Let's pick it up, verse 1. It says this. Well, actually, no. I wanted to go back to 49. <laughs> Three your curveball there. All right. Go back just into the last chapter, 49. Pick it up, verse 29. Uh, and I wanted to read from there. Let me go back up. Hold on. <laughs> 10 second, you know, little, bring you up to speed on where we were last week. Jacob is dying. He's gathered all of his sons to him, and he's, he's basically prophesied over them. He's basically prophesied over each one of them. And so now he's completed that. You weren't here last week. You have to pick that up on the, on the podcast or whatever. But then he, he comes right to the end of it, and he literally just kind of passes away. I mean, he, he kind of says his peace to every one of his sons, and then he goes the way of all. He's gathered to his people, so to speak. So let's pick it up in verse 29 of 49. It says this. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. And the field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth, And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And so the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who were embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. And now when the days of the morning, of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, "'If now I have found favor in your eyes, "'please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, "'My father made me swear, saying, "'Behold, I am dying in my grave, "'which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. "'There you shall bury me. "'Now therefore, please let me go up "'and bury my father, and I will come back.' And then Pharaoh said, "'Go up and bury your father,' as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the fa- as the house of Joseph, his brothers and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. And he observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is the deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore its name was called Abel Mizram, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. The promises of God are sure. I don't know how you feel about that when I say that or anybody to say that, but I I think that you need to feel great about that and not even wavering in your mind about the reality that the promises of God are sure, they're rock solid, they're better than any guarantee that has ever been made. Here we have Israel, Jacob dying, um, the end of verse 49, and there, or chapter 49, and at the end of the chapter there, uh, he basically, he makes his kids swear. He says, I want you to, when I pass away, I'm going to pass away now. I've said all I'm going to say. I'm done, (laughs) right? I've run the race. I've finished the course. And just one more thing. Take me, when I die, take me and bury me in the land of Canaan. Take me back to the cave that my grandfather purchased for a burial place. My grandfather, my grandmother, Abraham and Sarah, are buried in there. My mom and dad, Isaac and Rebecca, are in there. I bury Leah, my wife, in there. And I want you to take me back to the land of Canaan. I want you to put me in that cave, in, in the cave of Machpelah. So this is what he requested now, just a little bit of wrapping up the life of, of Jacob. He lived 40, 147 years. During that time, I guess if you were going to sum up the life of Jacob, you know, and it's, it would be kind of a you know, I don't think you could do it in a couple sentences, but I'll, I'll try. You know, I mean, he, he, he had those moments of, I mean, he came out grabbing his twin brother's heel, right? That's, why, that's how he ended up with the name Jacob, Yaakov, the, the heel catcher, right? And he kind of lived up to that name, and he deceived his father and gained the blessing of his, of his, uh, of the firstborn. And of course, you know, there, of course, there was that scene where Esau sold him the birthright and all the rest of it. But then he flees in, into the land of uh, into Haran, and and he's out there for many many years, and he continues to have God speak to him. He. God meets him at Bethel, and you know. Remember, he had that uh, that night where he had the the ladder going up to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on that ladder. And he had these moments. Remember, he had that other moment where he he wrestled with the angel of Yahweh all night. He literally wrestled with a a. a pre-incarnate Christ. It was a Christophany, I believe. you want to go back to that message that I preached on, it was called WrestleMania. That was a fun, actually looked that up on the podcast, WrestleMania. And it was was about the life of Jacob because he wrestles with God all night long. And God says to him, he says, you've wrestled with God and you've overcome. He, He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And this is kind of Jacob's life in a nutshell he was always seeking the blessing he, he didn't live a perfect life he had his faults he had those times when he deceived but he did pursue the Lord he did pursue the blessing of God in his life and he passed that on to his kids and, uh, and so he believed God in fact if you go into the, the, the Hebrews chapter 11 which is the hall of faith you know, we have the hall, the, you know, the hall of fame pro football hall of fame which I've actually been to by the way not, not that, not, anyways, I'll tell you about that story another time. If you want to, you can read about it in my book in chapter 4. I'll tell you all about that. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And in that chapter, it says, it talks about what he did, what Jacob did in chapter 49 of Genesis. And he says, by faith, Jacob, leaning on the top of his staff, blessed each of his sons and worshiped the Lord. I mean that kind of is just a great verse of scripture there, because this kind of sums up the, the you know the end of his life, where he's literally leaning on the on his staff and blessing his sons and worshiping God. So he finally passes away, and when that moment occurs, Joseph is the one that's there that just reacts with just the pouring out of emotion, and he fell on his father. He. he he embraced his father, he wept over his, he wept on his father. Uh, Joseph loved his father, and of course, he had been separated from his father all those years. Some scholars believe as many as 20 years, if not more, but at least 20. And it was a long time of separation that he had spent away from his dad. And, and the emotion of, the whole, of this whole thing hits Joseph. Then Joseph orders his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. This was not a Hebrew practice, but an Egyptian practice. So here you have um, Jacob being embalmed. And the process usually took 40 days. It was a whole process of drying out the body and then soaking it in oils and resin and then wrapping it in linen soaked with resin. And and then the text tells us that the Egyptians mourned for Israel 70 days. This was significant because the custom to mourn for a dead Pharaoh was 72 days. So they mourned for Jacob, they mourned for Israel two days less than a Pharaoh. Which I find that to be kind of interesting because that's kind of way up there. Like, you know, we, ah, we mourned for you for 70 days. That's significant. We should, and one one thing I can glean from this is that we should mourn properly for our loved ones when they go before us into the presence of God. Sometimes people kind of, just kind of whisk past that experience or they don't maybe take the appropriate measures of the appropriate time and, and, and to mourn over that. and In that sense, you could say the ancient cultures had better traditions on mourning than we do. Of course, as Christians, we don't mourn as those who have no hope, right? We have a hope. They've gone on before us into the presence of God. We mourn for ourselves, really, that we're still here, that we're left behind, so to speak, and we're just going to get up there to be with them at some point. So Joseph sends a message to Pharaoh asking for permission to go to the land of Canaan to bury his father as he had promised him, and Pharaoh gave him the permission. Joseph takes an entourage of people on the journey. Everyone, all the the family, except for the little ones and their flocks, they leave in Goshen. Uh, Even Egyptian elders went. On this journey and along the way, they mourned and buried for seven days at the threshing floor near the Jordan on the other side of the Jordan river and the Canaanites actually uh, noticed this, and they, they said, "Wow, this is, a, this is some mourning of the Egyptian, so that the place was actually named Abel Mizram, which is the mourning of the Egyptians. The Canaanites even recognized that the, the the seriousness of this event. The sons of Israel, led by Joseph, did exactly what Jacob had asked for, what he had asked them to promise, what he had commanded them. They carried him to the field of Machpelah and buried him in the cave. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all are buried in the cave. Now, what's the significance of this? I wanna take you back to, just for a second, to chapter 46, it was that time when, when Jacob learned that his son Joseph was, was uh, alive and that he had, he, had been, he had been raised up to the number two place in all of Egypt and he was governing over the, the, the affairs of Egypt through this famine that was a severe famine in the land. And you remember at that time that, that God spoke to, Ab- uh, to, to Jacob and he said this, um, In verse 46, I'm I'm sorry, chapter 46, verse 4. I do not have it on the screen for you, sorry. (laughs) But it says, this is what God told Israel. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. That's it. (laughs) I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you out again. Now here what we're talking about in chapter 50 is in that sense a fulfillment of this promise. Not just that the boys had promised dad that they would carry his bones out of Egypt and take them back to Canaan, but God himself promised Israel that I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back. And so this was kind of This was the fulfillment of that promise that God had made him. The boys, Joseph and the guys, carried their father back to the cave at Hebron, at Machpelah. That cave, man, that's an interesting place. That's an interesting little spot there. I've tried to do some research on that spot. It's actually modern-day Hebron, and it's actually tough to get to now um, because of of where where it's located. But it's an interesting spot. God fulfilled the promise that he made to Israel, to Jacob, to Israel. But this is also like a, like part of a fulfillment. I mean, it's a fulfillment of the promise. Don't get me wrong, but it's, there's something more there. I think that the promises of God are like, you know, we, we read them and we go, oh, God's going to do this. And God has like, you know, there's so much more that God's doing within just the promise that he's, that he's articulating to us and, and through his word. That It's going to blow our minds when when we actually see to the level that God has fulfilled the promises that he made, the things that he said. Here's what happened. Jacob's sons carried his dead bones out of Egypt and took them up to the cave at Machpelah in Canaan. But God was also saying that he was bringing that clan down into Egypt and he was going to bring them up again into the land of Canaan. Yes, he brought Jacob's dead body back to Canaan and he was buried in Canaan but many many years later through Moses God brought a great company a nation, a holy family a people of God out of Egypt and brought them back into the land and they went into the land and conquered the land and possessed the land and so what I have learned in studying God's promises and prophecy and things where there's kind of a a uh, 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 fulfillment A, and then there's like fulfillment B. You know, there's like the first little part, and you're like, Yay! God kept his promise, and it's like, hold on, hold on, it gets better, you know? And and that's the way it is. And so, you know, we can we can just look at that in our lives. You know, right now we're holding on to a promise fulfilled that God promised that he would send his seed into the world and that he would that he would. His heel would be uh, struck, but that he would crush the head of the uh, head of the serpent. And he's done that. But there's also part of the promise that is yet to be fulfilled to where we're going to go to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. So we're holding on to promise fulfilled and the hope and the promise that is yet to be fulfilled. And so we can be encouraged tonight, wherever you are. It, you know what? The world out there can be tough. If you look at it from an atheistic point of view, yeah, it's a rough universe out there. According to the, the Darwinist, it's a battle of the survival of the fittest, right? That, that's the way Darwin put it? Survival of the fittest? You know what, though? God's in control, and God's got his hand on the thing. And so you can look at it from man's perspective. You can look at it the way man might come up with a way of of saying it, or you can hold on to the promises of God, amen? You can realize that God is gonna see you through. And so even in in a dark hour, even in a dark hour, Christian, we're the type of people we've gotta learn how to hold on to the promises fulfilled and the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and we've just got to be those people. Back in chapter 15, just a you know, little bit of a kind of a going back tonight and just little places here and there. If you remember back in chapter 15, I actually taught a message in chapter 15 that I titled The Promise Keeper. How many remember that message? No? Okay. Good. Okay. Very good. I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed. The the message that night was the promise keeper. And this is the chapter where God made the promise to Abraham. And God is the promise keeper. He's the one that's going to keep his promise. The lesson for us is sure. Is this. Stay with God. Stay with God. Be like that person. Be like Jacob who wrestled with God. Wrestle with the Lord all your life. And stay with him. And you're going to be blessed. And there might be some dark hours. There might be some places where you're going to have to just rely on the word that has been given to you. You're going to have to rely on the book, the the word of God that has been spoken to you. You're going to be in that place. And, And you need to remember when you get to that place. You may even find yourself, I hope not, but there's somebody here that might find yourself down the road in your life and you're somewhere and you're far away from God and God will tap you on the shoulder and God as the hound of heaven will come after you and he'll remind you of the things that were spoken to you at little old South Coast Church in this B building on the corner of Croton and Lake Washington on Saturday night. And a profound word will be brought to your remembrance in that place and I want to encourage you Wherever you find yourself from this moment forward, trust in the promises of God fulfilled and those promises that are guaranteed yet to be fulfilled. Amen? amen. amen. Well, i got to quote this verse, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, so to the glory of God through us. Amen? That's right, so we, we sang this tonight, right? This is, the, this is the verse that we sang. And this is the truth by which we're here in Christ. That there's a promise that has been made. There's a promise that has been fulfilled. And there are those promises that are yes and amen. And no matter where you are in your life, no matter where you go forth from here, God will be with you. And I want to encourage you, To stay with the Lord. From there they ventured back to the land of Egypt. If you're taking notes, point number two tonight is his forgiveness is sure. His forgiveness is sure. Let's go back to Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. So his promises are sure, his forgiveness is sure. Amen. Joseph's forgiveness was sure, although they doubted it, the brothers doubted it, they thought in their minds, "Oh no, Dad's dead, Dad's gone." And that was the only thing holding Joseph back from, from being vengeful against us for what we did for him, to him. And now that Joseph's gone, there's, there's no restraining force left that's going to prevent Joseph from taking out his vengeance upon us. And so they, they went to Joseph. They had word brought to Joseph. They they said, hey, you know, dad would have had you to forgive us and <laughs> all this stuff. They finally, they go so far to come in and, 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 and they bowed down before him and they said, we're your servants. We'll, you know, we're yours. We'll do whatever. Just don't. Take vengeance out on us, and uh, and you almost see the uh, uh, again, like the repeat of the you know here here again is the fulfillment of the of the dream of the of the of the vision that God had given to to Joseph, right? But what did he do? What did he say? Verse twenty. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is to this day to save many people alive. This is just a powerful principle. God help us to learn this in our lives because I think it will save us from a lot of bad decisions, bad reactions in relationships and things. Because... What Joseph knew, he knew that God was in control. And even though that they had meant what they did for harm, they meant it evil towards him, that God was working in all those things for the good, not only for his good, but for the good of many, many other people, a whole nation, more than one nation. The land of Egypt, the land of Canaan. Many nations came down, and many people were saved alive because of what God did in working through what what those brothers meant for evil in the life of Joseph. God worked it out in Joseph's life and brought something good out of it, amen? Amen. Now you say, Genesis, we've said from the beginning, Genesis is the foundation of everything, right? So so here's Joseph in chapter 50 saying, you meant it as evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people. So in other words, you meant evil towards me, but God worked something out in this whole thing. You meant evil against me, but God worked... In this whole thing, yeah, I spent years in prison. Yeah, I was framed for, for a sexual advance that never took place. Oh, that, that... Uh-oh. I'll just leave that one right there. God has a way of speaking. In the life of Joseph... A sexual advance that never took place. That was denied, if you will. And God worked. God worked. You almost want to think that somehow, I don't know, maybe Paul, sitting down, writing the book of Romans, under the inspiration of the Spirit, God drawing his attention back to what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50. And we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen? Christian, Christian, you got to know that God is working in your life, that God is working through things. I've had had people do things to me where I look at and I go, you know what, I could get just terribly angry, and I'm not going to, of course I'm not bringing up an example of where I was terribly angry at someone for what they did for me and I had to sort it out in my mind years later and go, you know what, perhaps God was working in that situation. Perhaps God used that situation to to lead and guide my steps. Because of that situation, I I relied on God even more. Because of that situation, I waited on God for the next step that he had for me in my life, in my ministry, in my family. Because of what someone did to me, I had to wait on the Lord to see what he was going to do, how he was going to work in that situation. And I want to encourage you, Christian, do not... Cheat the Lord out of what he wants to do in working in your life because you've got it figured out and you're going to take vengeance out and you're going to handle it in your way. We've got to learn this principle because if we do, it will save us. It will save us a lot of heartache. It will save us from trying to feel like we've got to have every little detail figured out when someone has done wrong to us, when someone's brought evil to our doorstep. Sometimes you'll never figure it out. You'll never figure it out why so-and-so did such-and-such to you other than, you know what, they just did evil. You meant it for evil, they meant it for evil. But I want to spend my energy thinking about what God had in store for me as a result of it. I want to think about what God is doing with that situation. And God can do stuff Oh my goodness, he can. He can. Uh, he can turn things around. Amen. Yes. Amen. A good one. And of course, this also parallels what God, what Christ Himself went through on our behalf, right? So God Himself puts on flesh, comes into the world. Think about that for a second. You know, you're reminded of Philippians 2, right? The humility of Christ. You know, that he literally came into the world that he made. He came into the world that he made as a baby in a cave, in a manger, grew up and put himself in harm's way, put himself, subjected himself to where people brought about evil against him. They plotted against him. From the very beginning, when they decided they didn't like him, some people liked him, a lot of people didn't like him. The leaders, the chief priests, the elders, they said, we got to get this guy. And they and they and they conspired against them and they brought and they brought evil and they had evil plots against them. They they sent they sent, you know, military man men to arrest him. And just like Joseph said, you meant it for evil. But God was working in all this and meant it for good to save many people. (laughs) And so the evil that was brought upon Christ, that Christ himself subjected himself to in this world, he became the perfect sacrifice for us. He fulfilled in that very action, he fulfilled the promise of Genesis 3. Right? What what others meant for evil, God meant for our good that he might save many alive. Hebrews chapter two, verse 10, put it this way. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. What's that? You meant it for evil, God meant it for good to save many people alive. It was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And so if there's anything that the gospel shows us, if there's anything that's been laid down and shown to us from Genesis to Revelation and in the gospel and in the work of Christ and what he did on the cross for us, it's to show us that God can work in all things and is working in all things. And we've got to just submit that to God. Now, the brothers could take a sigh of relief, right? Right? <laughs> You know, when, 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 when Joseph says this and like, look, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Look, we're all alive. We didn't die in the famine. We're down here in Egypt. We're riding around in these nice, classy chariots. You know? And God worked in the situation. And so this, this, the forgiveness of Joseph was sure, but I think what it shows us is that the love of Christ, the forgiveness of God is sure. Amen? Yes. Amen. And we need, to, uh, we need to just rest in that promise, the promise of his forgiveness. Are you, are you not Letting the Lord forgive you? Are you, not let, are you hanging on? You know, sometimes some people struggle with that. You know, God wants to forgive you. God does an amazing thing. in And when, when you confess your sin to the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the Bible tells us that he casts that sin as far as the east is from the west, and we don't know how far that is. Because I, I don't think you can, I don't, the East and the West don't actually end up meeting. And then there's another passage where it talks about some sea of forgetfulness, right? Well, there's a sea somewhere called forgetfulness, and God puts all the sins out. And there was a band back in the 90s. They, they said, here's God. He made the world. He did all this incredible stuff, but he does one thing that is beyond comprehension. He forgives, and then he forgets. He forgives and forgets. I mean, we don't even do that, really. We we, we, we might want to try. We say, oh, I have to forgive you and forget. That's why, you know, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 and he talks about love, he talks about agape. He says agape. And there's one thing he says about agape, the love of God. He keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Amen. So, Christian, rest assured in the promises of God, the forgiveness of God. And then let's wrap this up and and have some chicken fingers. (laughs) Live in the hope of the promise. Live in the hope of the promise. Verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Machir and the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Live in the hope of the promise. Joseph lived to see his great-great-grandchildren by Ephraim, his great-grandchildren by Manasseh. He placed them on his knees at their birth and then he passed away. But before he did, The book of Genesis closes with the promise of the land, yet unfulfilled in that sense. We have on deposit Abraham and Sarah in the cave, Isaac and Rebekah, and now Leah and Jacob are there, right? But see, there's this promise that's been made of the land. There's this promise that has been made that they will possess this land, that he is going to bring them out. And... In that sense Joseph kind of brings this forth this promise he says God will surely come to your aid and God will bring you out look at it in verse 24 he says I am dying but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and so in the sense that when you look at the book of Genesis and you look at all the amazing things that have happened in this book and it comes to the very end of it and it kind of leaves us kind of hanging kind of hanging on the promise it's 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 i mean it's it's like a, it's a masterpiece right it's the it's the word of god right if this was like a spielberg movie it would be like you know well, you know, when you read that last sentence there and it was like, you know, and Jacob di- Joseph died and they embalmed him and put him in a coffin in Egypt. It was almost like, you know, when they put the Ark of the Covenant in the warehouse in Washington, D.C. at the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So they found the Ark, they put it in a box and put it in a warehouse in Washington, D.C., never to be discovered again. No, they, they, Joseph died, they embalmed him and they put him in a coffin in Egypt. Okay, I'm gonna let, 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 let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. Okay, two, two things I wanna do to wrap this up. Number one is that they carried Joseph's body out of there. When Moses brought the people of Israel, some 2 million strong, 600, over 600,000 men, and with women and children, most scholars believe that. Nation to have been about 2 million people. They bring him out. They bring that people out. And they come out with a bounty, a booty. Right? But they also come out with the bones, the body of Joseph. And this is another whole long study. <laughs> but if you go through the book of Joshua... And you see how Joshua brings the people, Joshua, Jesus. That's that's the name of Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus brings them across into the land. And there's a seven-year battle for the land. And when the land has been completely subdued and they pass out the land, they give all the land of the inheritance to the tribes. They they bury Joseph at Shechem. Shechem. Now, I don't know specifically what the significance of that is. I, I mean, let, let me throw, throw out what I think. There are, there are some people, and I'm one that kind of leans in this direction, that people will say that where was the Garden of Eden, right? where? Well, it was somewhere out. It's in Iraq. It's in the desert. I believe that the land of Israel was Eden. It's, it's the land, and... Specifically, there's a whole theory about how Shechem could have been the place where the tree of life and the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil were because there's an incident that God commands to the Israelites at the end of the book of Deuteronomy that they are to perform when they come into the land where they have this idea of the blessing and, and cursing of following God or not following God, and they stand on these two mountains. And this is the place where Joseph is brought up, and he's buried. Now, the book closes with us hanging on the promise that God is going to fulfill this promise. It leaves us with the hope of the promise that it's going to be fulfilled. And I think this is the message for us in 2018. God has saved you. God, God, through his son, died on the cross. He was the perfect savior for you. If you've believed upon him and you've been born again, you've come into the family of God. And right now, we're in a state of continuing to hold on in hope to the promise of God that he has fulfilled, and yet there's a greater fulfillment coming. God, it will hear you. And he will bring you up out of here and he will bring you into the land, into the kingdom.